Okay, I hope you've got a comfortable seat. This is a little bit of a longer interview for me, but Michael Archaki from Ascension Post out of Burbank, California, basically tells you everything you need to know about like everything in audio and in life, literally everything. He nails it. <laughs> Blew my mind about a half a dozen times. Stick around. You don't want to miss this. I'm going to leave the timestamps below if you want to skip ahead to anything specific, but you do not want to skip this one. Michael Archaki coming next. All right, welcome back everyone to the Adam Claremont Show. I'm Adam Claremont, and this is where we talk about building and growing your career in audio with actionable tips from myself and people like me. And before we get into all that, I would just like to offer you a free gift. I put together a free guide that sort of outlines some initial steps you can take to build your client list, get all those projects and clients that you've been looking at and thinking, how do I go after them? I don't even know what to do and how everyone's doing it. Well, adamclaremont.com slash client list. It's real simple. It takes 30 seconds. And the list is just a step-by-step -step guide, uh, something great to put into action right away and just take your, take your career to the next level. All right. So would love for you to have that and let me know how that works for you. All right. So let's get into the fun stuff. Today, I'd like to welcome our guest. It's Michael Archaki, the founder of the award-winning Ascension Post located in lovely Burbank, California. Michael's been a re-recording mixer and supervising sound editor for over 20 years, and taking a look at his IMDb page requires at least a cup of coffee or two because it's long. All right, so go take a look at that. But some of the credits include Al Pacino's Salome. He's also worked for Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Marvel, you name it. He's won award after award, Emmys, Tallies, Addies, Webbies. I think there's a Snuggie in there. He's being super gracious with his time today to talk to us about the audio post world. Michael, thanks so much for coming along. Anytime, Mr. Claremont. Thank you so much for having me. And guys, go get those tips that Adam uh, has on his website. They're great. I checked them out the other day. Awesome job, Adam. Uh, keep, doing, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Thank you so much for that. Well, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, Michael, you know, I, I would like to just sort of dive in really quick and talk a little bit uh, about your background, because I know that you've got a lot of great stuff to talk about with with our listeners about how to kind of do what you do. Um, but I wanted to start because, you know, we've never met. Um, you're being super gracious by talking to a stranger like me. But we, we, we did meet over LinkedIn. Um, people, if you're not on LinkedIn, you got to get on there. I'm learning so much and meeting so many great people. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. But I'm scrolling through one day. And I see this picture of an old DigiDesign installer disc, DVD. <laughs> and it looked really familiar because it's one that I think that I started on or maybe it was just, just earlier because I, I started I on five or six. And the thing's old. First of all, it's a DVD, so you know how old it is. <laughs> <laughs> right? That old blue. Old six. Right? said DigiDesign. And you had this fantastic story. It just sort of captivated me and just kind of inspired me and was really relatable. And, and I learned a lot about you, just your personality in that post. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about how you got to where you are and maybe touch about um, what I'm talking about with this Digi uh, DVD? No, it really just goes back to just, you know, never forgetting where you came from. You know, I was raised in Bristol, Connecticut. Actually, to rewind a little bit, I started mixing um, in my mother's womb before I was born. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. No, um, no, born in, born in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, there's not much going on over there except uh, it, it is a home of ESPN. So that's one cool thing. But, um, 
Yeah, you know, I was one of the kids that were just, if I didn't have a basketball or a soccer ball in my hand or on my feet, on my foot, I would have a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. You know, I would literally just record everything. And it would be like, you know, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day opening up presents uh, would, would be like for me to go and get these things I like to call reality recordings, you know, because they would be, I would drop off the recorder some somewhere around my house or, you know, in the backyard or somewhere and, and literally just leave it there for an hour, press record, come back. And that's what I'm saying about the opening the Christmas presents. It was just so much fun to see what I, you know, mm. captured. Of course, I have to replace the batteries yeah. at that time. But, um, and this is before the talk boy. I don't know. I don't know if you're an 80s kid, but the, every 80s kid knows the talk boy. The handheld thing? The, the handheld thing is like, and then one part um, in the commercial is like, hi, mom, I'm home. Because you can switch the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was before the. It was before all that. But um, I remember I wanted that. I didn't get it. But anyway, um, yeah, and it was just one of those things that I just loved sound and just recording. I remember my mom asked me one day. You know why I like this cartoon so much? It's in my bio, I think, on the website. It's GoBots, and um, oh yeah, and I'm telling her. I remember it, it was like a kind of a, a cheesy knockoff of Transformers and things like that. But I remember telling her it was from the sound. I love the sound effects, mm-hmm. and I was like probably five or six years old. Um, but no, going back to the the tape recorder thing was a <laughs> pretty funny story that I had to share. And I thought about this yesterday. I'm like, I have to tell Adam about this and the viewers. But um. You know, I, I loved getting these reality recordings and things like that, like, you know, candid recordings. So one day I um, it was it was an opportunity because my mom, my sister, my brother and my dad were all sitting at the table. It's very rare to get that back in the 80s or early 90s or whenever I did this and um, slipped the recorder underneath the table. You know, 10 <laughs> minutes goes by. Everything's all good. You know, the eating sounds or, you know, silverware banging on the thing or whatever. And uh, all of a sudden my mom and dad get into a little argument. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, ah, I got the recorder under here, man. This is juicy stuff. You know, this is like really do. Ju- I remember like just like kind of keeping my mouth shut and just like listening to everything. Anyway, so dinner's over. Um, you know, I, I basically queue up like the worst part of the argument. You know, it wasn't that crazy, but I queue up the worst part of the argument. And then, you know, she's down the hall in her room and my dad's in the living room. So I st- strategically place that um, recorder. It had a really, actually a loud um, speaker on it too, mm. right in between them, press play. And then they both <laughs> kind of came out at the same time. And it was like, you know, that whole thing, do I really sound like that? <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and, and of course, like that completely broke the ice, you know, yeah. and they weren't mad, of course, at each other. But as, as uh, corny as it may sound, I knew the importance and, and the power of audio you know it was just one of those things where at that point it felt like you know wow i really just you know got them back together just by playing them their argument mm. you know it was it was crazy i thought anyway, you were going to say that you parlayed that into the talk boy a little blackmail but no <laughs> oh man well that's probably one of the re- that's honestly one of the reasons why i didn't get the talk boy because of that they were just like so shocked that i had recorded that and you know but anyway, yeah, from there, you know, I was always into keyboards and things like that. And always uh, kind of uh, me and my brother made this like mock radio shows when we were little. And I was always recording that. He was um, uh, like a virtuoso um, musician. He could play anything. Mm. I was more of the athlete. Uh, I know you can't really tell because I'm like about 100 pounds overweight. But <laughs> in the past, I was an athlete, guys. Um, but anyway, uh, 
And I would record him. We would make these radio shows. This is all when I was about 10 or 12. From there, around high school, I would, um, me and my cousin uh, built out our ba- uh, my mom's basement into uh, like what we called the bomb shelter. And this was like a little recording studio that we had. We had like a four-track Porta studio, you know, a oh, little yeah. Shure uh, SM57 and uh, like a little MPC and stuff like that. So it was, it was really cool. And I, and I still remember, it was, I still remember it like yesterday when my mom is uh, on the top of the stairs. It's like 12 midnight. She's like, Michael, I can feel the bass in my bones. <laughs> Turn it down. And um, of course, she doesn't sound like she doesn't sound like she's ninety years old. I, I just okay. kind of did that for a little um, embellishment, but uh, yeah, man. And then from there, um, went to Emerson. I had a friend that um, you know I didn't do really great in high school, so if anybody is in the same position as me, you know, don't give up because you know even if you don't do that great in high school, you might not have been challenged or you might not have been interested in the subjects. So I went to a community college for one year after that, Tunks's Community College, and I got my grades up a little bit. But then I remember I was sleeping in one Saturday and my friend Aaron Young came over and he's like, Mike, man, you can actually do what you love to do at Emerson College. You know, they have an audio and radio uh, department. They have one of the you know biggest um, college radio stations, student run college radio stations in the nation. And um, of course, I probably shrugged them off and said, yeah, you know, never mind. But I did give it some thought that week and I ended up applying and I got in, you know, I can't be any happier for that um, moment because it was really that moment that I realized a lot of things, especially from my love for audio, you know, and uh, my sophomore year, I started off um, at that point and uh, became production director at 88.9, I mean, and WRS and big shout out to Alden Fertig. If he's watching, he works for Disney now. Hmm. He was the, he was the student general manager that gave me a chance over there. And it was so awesome, man, because I literally got a chance to, you know, use their facilities at night and then during the day, uh, take all the audio classes at Emerson and, you know, sound for film and audio recording and, you know, creative listening. And and the really cool thing, too, is we um, Emerson College was a sister station of Berkeley College of Music. So we would have like, you know, all those virtuoso uh, musicians come in and we would record them for live music week. We would get a lot of their professors over there, like David Doms and everybody. And it was just an amazing, amazing opportunity to like literally learn from the best. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, at, at that point too, it was, I think it was my sophomore or junior year when one of my friends whose name is Derek Hallquist, he approached me and said, Hey Mike, you know, we, we know you're really good at mixing music. We know that you love that and, and everything. How about you try a hand at my film? And I was like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Let me try it. And, um, from there I just fell in love. You know, I was on the seventh floor of the Anson building on, on uh, Tremont street like literally every single day, that was our 5.1 suite. And, you know, what I loved about it is that, you know, coming from the music world, probably like yourself, you know, all those principles still apply. You know, you have your EQ, of course, your compression, limiting, you know, your volume automation, all these other things, and all the little audio tricks that you've learned from music directly correlates to sound design and sound for film. You know, that was, that was like, for me, it was like, wow. So like none of that stuff was wasted. Like I just literally jumped right in and was, you know, of course I was still a beginner at a lot of the things happening, especially with 5.1 and stuff like that. But all those fundamentals, you know, those were all the things that I really, really treasure. And it was actually cool because the analog was just going out of style at that point. So we learned to like cut tape. Yeah, man. 
it, Emerson was just awesome because at that point I really knew sound design for film was like the way I wanted to go and mixing for film too. So mm. that was awesome. Uh, so you probably got your hand into, into Pro Tools at that point. You said, you know, you learned the tape machine thing because they're probably just teaching it, right? I, I went to Full yeah. Sail and it was the same mm. thing uh, awesome. quite a while ago. You know, it was definitely mm. on its way out, but it's like, learn it. I was like, it was cool. Yeah. You mentioned you know, some people are like happier with cutting tape and some people aren't. I think the idea of tape is more uh, uh, pleasing than actually using tape at this point. Other than the actual, yeah. you know, the, the sound quality, that's one thing. But man, the process of <laughs> tape, like who loves the process of tape? <laughs> no, I, I, I miss the thought of it, but then I don't miss go. the actual, like when you get in there, like, that's crap, I, mean. I got to go like literally do all these reels and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but no, all your Cal steps. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's still awesome though. You know, it's, it's audio, you know, we're not out there saving lives. You know, we're not out <laughs> there on, on the battlefield. I mean, those in my mind, those are the real jobs. You know, those are the real heroes out there. Those are the guys that put their life on the line. What we do, we're pretty blessed in what we do. And especially, okay. you know, my mom always said, it's like, you know, you find your passion you know, then you do it, you automatically be good at it because it is your passion. So you will put that time in it and you will find a way to make a living at it, you know, no matter what. Mm. So that's one of the things. And um, she's always said to me, so big shout out to mama. Yeah. Mama Archecki. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's 100% true what you just said with the passion thing. And con conversely to that, you know, I I'd imagine, yeah. uh, maybe not right now, but I imagine you have had a bunch of interns in the past or an internship program there, I'd imagine. Yeah. And so you probably do a bunch of interviews. So I'd also imagine that not every single one of those interviews went amazingly, <laughs> right? Exactly. You, meet, you meet some people yeah. who love the idea of what we do and they think it's super mm -hmm. glamorous and they don't actually want to put the work in. They just want, and it's like, if you don't have to do this, if you don't have that passion, right. if you don't feel like you, this is what I have to do because nothing else will suffice, then you probably shouldn't do this because there's not <laughs> no. as much fun as we have. It's fun because we love it. There's actually a lot of stuff to not love about what we do. You know, schedules can suck. Deadlines can suck. You know, I mean, there's some stuff that's just not very cool, but all that stuff becomes much more tolerable because of how much we love it. But if you don't have exactly. that to begin with, you're just not going to, it's not going to work for you. You just have to have that like eager drive to just want to do this and nothing else. Without question, <laughs> without question. That's a good way to put it, Adam. Yeah. And I saw one of your podcasts that you did. You know, it's like getting um, getting rid of the people that are negative influences. Yeah. You know, th those that that just really hits home. Um, not necessarily for me, but I know for a lot of people. You know, because luckily I was you know encouraged to do this. I was encouraged to follow like my dream and things like mm. that. But um, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there like you know you're just mentioning interns and stuff like that. And and as I get to know them a little bit more, you know. Cause I like to get to know my intern, you know, it's not necessarily yeah. about no, like knowing every single thing about pro tools and just knowing every single thing about mixing because you come, you kind of come here to learn, you know, and, right. and, and vice versa, I'm here to learn too. So a lot of times far along are the days when, you know, it's like the master and the student, the master knows everything and the student doesn't. A lot of these kids will know more than me, you know, about pro tools are like, Hey, just do this shortcut. And you know, this will, this will get you there faster. And so, you know, being a sponge, you know, it doesn't matter like where you are in your career. I know I'm going a little off topic, but it doesn't matter where you are in your career. You know, you literally have to always be a student of the game yeah. of audio, because if you stop being a student and you think you're just this master, you know, um, that's when you become stagnant. 
Mm. You know, that's when you become, um, that's when you stop learning. So you can break it down to all the fundamental aspects. I mean, we're storytellers, right? We're story storytellers at its at, at its core, True. you know, but you can't be one of those guys that think you know everything because you're probably not going to work too much longer. You know, <laughs> if you go in and, and you're just one of those guys that like, no, no, no. And you argue, don't ever argue with the client, you know, don't yeah. ever argue with the client. I mean, that's like the number one rule. And it's one of those things where, I mean, that's like their baby, their film, that's their baby. They've been like caring for it. They wrote it, they, you know, directed it, whatever they edited it. But it's just one of those things where if you start arguing with them, you become this pompous mixer. And, you know, and I, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, you know, you can have a thousand awesome stellar mixes that go flawlessly, but it's always that one mix that you just blow up on a client or whatever. You had a bad day, you know, your kids are mouthing off to you. So you bring it to the studio or whatever, whatever it is. And uh, you blow up on that client that follows you, you know, that follows your reputation um, 100 percent. And and it's it's kind of tough to get away sometimes from that. You know, if you if you if you're known for, you know, blowing up on a client or and oh, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Like like I said, we're, we're we are we are so blessed to actually have, you know, this job and to do what we do. And um, we're not saving lives. We're not on the battlefield. Have fun. You got to make. You, and that's and that's another tip, too, guys. Have fun on the stage. You have to have fun when you're with the clients because in my mind, it's 50% client experience and 50% uh, your mixing chops. And, and, and there's so many reasons why because, you know, you could be the best mixer in the world and if you're a beep hole, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a kid show, so I wanted to beep that out. But yeah. um, they're not going to want to work with you, no matter how you know fantastic the soundtrack was uh, for their film. So completely agree. It's funny, like yeah, yeah, and and, 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 and some some people will say like fifty percent. Wow, that's a lot. Well, no, because think about it. You're you're you have to give them the full experience, you know. And if they're enjoying it while you're doing it, and everyone's happy on the stage, and the stage is light. Um, the one the one uh, guy I want to bring up was one of my heroes who won many Academy Awards at you know Indiana Jones. I was actually in touch with him on on um, on LinkedIn. If you can interview this guy, this guy is a is a legend, Steve Maslow. Oh yeah, so sounds I've, good. I've never <laughs> and, and Steve Maslow. You know Indiana Jones, Star Wars. He's got like three Oscar wins. Mm. You know he, he he won one for Speed as well in the nineties. Anyway, um, I heard from. You know, a couple of real prominent mixers um, like Charles Maines and sound designers that he was a master at just keeping the stage light. You know, we're in a customer service field, no matter how you look at it. And the customer is always right. Never, ever, ever say no. And if you have to say no, think about another way to put it. Like, hey, let's try it. Let, let me try something. You know, let me try this way. I think maybe this this will be cool if we tried it like this. You know, don't never use the word no, mm. you know, at, just ever, you know, because it's the people are just like, well, what are we paying for you for? You know, you're, you're trying to realize my vision, you know. So it's so fun when I talk to like either intern or people that I work with and they think they're going to come in and, and learn like a bunch of Pro Tools stuff from me or like a bunch of mixing stuff, you know, and I. And I start talking to them about like the art of communication, you know, <laughs> know. that's like, and they're like thinking like, well, how, what, are, what are we going to start doing short keys and stuff like that? I know. <laughs> but <laughs> the exact it's really same experience. About the yeah. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> totally related. But to it's like, but, but you can, I mean, 
you learn so because in my mind, all that stuff, the technical stuff like Pro Tools and mixing, all that stuff is going to come. You know, that'll all come with time, with dedication. That's already going to be there. It's already in line for you to do that. Mm. But if you don't have the right mentality going in, if you're not, you know, able to talk to people respectfully and and have that good, you know, disposition about like, you know, like just taking everything lightly. Um, of course, there's that fine line where you don't want to be too joking and stuff like that. Then people were like, well, this guy is a Yahoo. Gotta never, get the work done, yeah. <clears throat> first time I ever used the word Yahoo. But um, <laughs> I thought it I thought it really, um, but you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's 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 just all about the art of communication. So it's just a huge thing that well, I try to. Um, huge, yeah. Well, let, let me ask you about mm-hmm. that because um, it's yeah. funny, you know, really early on, uh, really early on in my career, one of my mentors said to me, hey, you want to be good in audio? Learn how to golf. <laughs> yeah, And his point was, yeah. and I never learned how to golf actually, but his point was basically like, <laughs> learn how to hang with people. Like the people that yeah. you can, when people are friends with you or when people get along with your company, they want to work with you, you'll get more work. And so Absolutely. putting that into the, into the studio, like you just mentioned, when you're on a stage, what do you think about this? If you're, if you've got an environment around you, that's light, like you mentioned, like you're not just head down, ignoring everybody doing your thing, but you know, you're doing the work, but you're involving the room keep that environment. Exactly. How do you think that the person behind you, you know, your client, how do you think that they're going to react to what you're doing based on the room? If it's a cold kind of divided environment and they're not getting any feedback from you, I wonder how that influences what they're hearing. Whereas if they're enjoying the time, they feel like they're being heard, you're involving them. I feel like they're going to a have a better time. Their attitude will be better. They'll be more receptive to your feedback and your comments versus instead of just giving you all the instruction. And they'll probably mm-hmm. enjoy what you're giving back to them a whole lot more because their attitudes is better. No question. Right? So it's like nothing's in a vacuum. It's not like let's evaluate the audio and the work and now let's evaluate yeah. the personality and the environment. Like no, like yeah. it's all together it and it's really blended, right? And I think we're kind Absolutely. of like people like to work with people we like. There's exactly. a lot of really talented mixers out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really great people out there. So, I mean, you know, I think if you got a both, you probably got a made, right? You really do. So. And like I said, that will come. All that technical stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I suggest everyone to study every single day. If it's your craft, Clearly. study Pro Tools. Big tip, study Pro Tools. Go and grab yourself a copy of David Moulton's Golden Ears. Mm. Um, that, there's going to be a link below for that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I could do that. Um, yeah. I don't even know if that's available anymore. It's it's old. I was kidding about the link. But uh, <laughs> Golden Ears is awesome because it's all about frequency and, like, you know, recognizing comb filtering and, and phasing and aliasing and stuff like that, all these fun words. And, um, you know, go get, um, like, a c- couple CDs on perfect pitch or relative pitch. I don't I don't have that, but I know, I know when things are out of tune. Um, you know, go get Total Recording by David Moulton. You know, just constantly elevate your game, you know, when you have downtime because – you eventually will have to show for it. You know, like when I was mentioning all that art of communication and everything like that, yeah, that's all great. But once you kind of swim through that, you know, you're going to have to perform at one point, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that's right. that's really when the, those things come in handy. So so that's all awesome information. Can you then describe, since we're kind of yeah. on the topic of like, you know, who's, who's in the room and the environment, can you describe, so I mean, you know, what a view behind you, you know, so that's yeah. that's the A stage, right, at Ascension, is that what we're looking at? Yeah. Yep. And I think that uh, what you're looking at is where your clients would sit in the back, right? Yeah. 
Could you describe for us, for anyone who might not have ever had an experience on a stage like this, like what's it like, let's say you're working on a feature, who, who is in the room? Like who from your team from Ascension, uh, who from the client side, and what is that interaction like when you're, you know, day one of mixing a feature? It's, it's definitely project by project. It's not like a set certain amount of people that are in here. Sometime I will have some of my team here. I got Matthew Schaff, uh, who's sound, done incredible sound design um, and helped me out over the years. He actually helped me build this, build the stage. But, um, yeah, it's different everywhere. Um, it's mostly, you know, director, producer sometimes. Every now and then we'll get an editor in here. Mm. Um, composers sometimes. But now with like uh, obviously with COVID and everything like that, it's been like a lot of remote mixes, uh, Source Connect, yeah, things like that. But um, yeah, no, it, it, it's uh, I, I really enjoy um, getting people in here and sitting behind me because that's when I can kind of like, you know, show them. Because um, beforehand, let me just rewind a little bit. Like if it's the first time they ever hear something, like I always like to send them, you know, mixes beforehand, like stereo mixes beforehand that they can play on the on the mediums that they are really used to. For instance, like their TV or their little edit bay that they're editing and they're just really used to watching movies and they know how those speakers sound. Because if they come in here and like the first time they hear their scene, it's just like this huge, you know, sound stage with like, you know, ambiences everywhere and things moving around and everything like that. They may be confused and not really know you know, how to take the appropriate note or really how to go with the right direction. So I like to at least do like two or three rounds of notes of um, giving them stereo mixes, uh, you know, 5.1 or 7.1 downfolds and give them stereo mixes. That way they can take it to their places that they're comfortable with, you know, because if they, like I said, if they're able to take some notes at, at the places that they're comfortable in and then they know the uh, the translation, how it translates, that is already we're just that much more efficient when they do come to the stage yeah you know and um that's a good then they're like wow because they're always like wow it sounds a lot better of course it sounds a lot better in here but you know make it translate i mean that's like the one of the things that uh that i I really i'm a big stickler for because i used to do a lot of mastering uh for music and that was like one of the things it's like that's the thing you know (laughs) yeah you you can be high-fiving you know everyone's high-fiving in the studio but then as soon as you take it out of the studio, you go to your car or you go to, yeah. you know, anywhere else, it just falls flat, you know. And that's all about, you know, calibrating your speakers. I'm talking about for film now, calibrating your speakers, making sure that, you know, you have the proper headroom and, you know, tuning EQ, tuning your speakers and things like that for your room size and things like that. Like the ATSC uh, stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, just having that translation is huge, you know, and um now I completely forgot the question, what you were talking, <laughs> talking about. No, well, you, but, you kind of mentioned, no, you know, we're the, talking about who's in the room and what's it like, you know, is, is it a free yeah. for all of them going, hey, this up, that down, this up, that down. And no, yeah, right, yeah. no, because it's so funny, like uh, at, at one point and, and you mentioned Al Pacino, but there was this one funny story that I remember he um, he kept asking people around the room, you know, we had stopped to play. He asked us to stop uh, the movie. We were just screening it. And there was like about four or five executive producers in the back. And we were at Wildfire Post. This was like a gigantic stage, like twice the size of this thing. So Al's going around the room like, what did you think of that? And everyone's like, oh, I love it, Al. I love it. What did you think of that? I love it, Al. I love it. Yeah, what did yeah. you think of that? I love it. <laughs> and literally everyone's until it got to me. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and say, oh, I'm like, you know, this is I'm so cool by saying this. But I, I said to him, I go. No, you know what? Let's let's revisit this, and then let's try let's try something else. Let's try this. And he goes, "I'm going to go with you. I'm going with you." 
you know, and I remember all the, this was like my fourth day on the job. And I remember Wait, all, Al, all Al doesn't sound like an 80-year-old woman? I thought that was your one. Yeah, oh yeah, I got, I got <laughs> so, yeah, that's my only two voices. I have an 80-year-old woman, then I have Al. That's pretty much it. Um, so I think that he was looking for that. He wasn't looking for the yes man. He was looking for someone to actually say, no, let's try this. Let's, let's, let's go this different route. And I think that has a lot to do with what you're saying when it comes to the stage. Like, I think people like the fact that I'll stop a playback and I'll fix something. They're like, what are you fixing? You know, what, what are you doing? They're asking me, I'm like, oh, let me just, you know, I gotta, I gotta fix this little, like I, I, I heard a pop or I heard a, you know, I gotta mm -hmm. find this pop in like this thousand track uh, session. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I didn't even hear that. Thanks so much. You know, those, those are the kind of things that you get hired for. And um, they appreciate that. They appreciate you going that extra mile. They see you doing that and 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 you know i'll stop i'll stop again and be like what are you doing again mike this sounds great and the dialogue's a little bit too hot right there let me just you know gain reduct that yeah. thing down that's the job and and yeah. i just know from when i've been taught like just do your best use your ears this is another little morsel of uh, knowledge right now too guys always ask you know how, what plugin do you have or what plugin did you use there you know what outboard gear did you use there what version of pro tools you know what yeah. And what cheese crater version, you know, all this stuff. And I just say, you know, just it's you're really all about your ears. And as cliche as it may sound, you know, that's your best tool. You have to learn to trust your ears, um, you know, make the right decisions and then keep practicing. You know, practice makes perfect, you know, and um, really there are really no rules in audio. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but. In my mind, there are no rules. There's guidelines. There's certain guidelines that we should go by. And now, now we probably just lost half of the other mixers that are watching the yeah. podcast. But yeah. I, I love. No, there's really. I love reading the comments or seeing you know things in, in forums. <laughs> well, isn't that the industry standard? Like, oh, okay, my mind just exploded. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I'm not no, talking about think... like Dolby certifications or anything and those kinds of standards. We're talking, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, that plugin is that industry standard? Uh, yeah where everything that um, that we do is really just supporting the filmmaker, supporting the movie, supporting the director's uh, original vision, um, supporting the scene. You know, we yeah. audio comes through the back door of your perception, right? And the video and the visuals, that comes through the front door of your perception. So we always take a back seat to the visuals. Although, you know, when Lucas said, you know, 50% uh, of the movie is sound, I tend to to actually think that it's actually a little bit more than half, believe it or not. Let's, let's just bring up a movie like Halloween with Michael Myers. If you were to go to that movie and just sit in a, in a dark theater and just watch the visuals with no sound at all, no music, no nothing, it's not that scary. It's not even a great movie. You're just yeah. like, what? This is not yeah. good. But if you were to go into that same theater, you know, turn the lights off, no visuals, only audio, you're going to be really into the movie and it's still probably a scary movie. Yeah. without the visual so i mean so i feel like that's a little bit more you know I, obviously the story is is first and foremost but anyway i'm just kind of rambling on now but yeah now, now we <laughs> now we just lost directors so <laughs> there's nobody yeah, we lost directors and, you just, <laughs> and, and then i just see like a cut to like the end of the and so thanks so much michael <laughs> you know all that stuff is cut out yeah but yeah, yeah, th those are the things I don't like to admit to a whole lot of people. But yeah, I mean, well, it's like that's a great example, though. Like Mike, or like Jaws yeah. or something like that. Like, what's Jaws without okay. like the score? You know? It's like, oh. Okay, oh, we're it's, just looking yeah. at water now, <laughs> right? So I feel like it's, it's half. It's <laughs> yeah. half or a little bit more than half. You know, because of that little example that I gave. You know. So anyway.
Yeah, that's man. cool. So let me let me let me uh, get a little segue here. So you've sure. got a phenomenal facility. You've had a phenomenal career. A lot of a uh, lot of mixing gigs. But from my understanding, you've also done a lot on the supervising sound. Uh, we're yeah. wearing that hat as well. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen from some interns and some other people who don't work on the film side, they have no idea what that role is. Could you yeah. sort of explain like what you know what entails? Uh, what's the job entail of the supervising sound editor? Um, how does how does that person work within the team? Um, who does that person um, work for? And yeah, just yeah. however you want to put that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's constantly changing. And it's also a little bit different for like maybe supervising sound editor for one of the majors or for, you know, independent facility or for someone, you know, in their garage or in their basement or whatever. But, you know, supervising sound editor can wear many hats, but uh, the gist of it basically would be, you know, they're in charge of assembling the team, you know, assembling their sound designers, Foley editors, Foley recordists, ADR guys, sound designers, sound editors, sound effects editors, all the guys, you know, re-recording mixers. And then kind of... um, Working closely with the director, you know, talking over. I, I like what I like to do with the director. First thing is to, if they have a locked cut, or if I get in. Um, lately, I haven't been getting in on movies that are um, early on in the in the pre-production process. I'd like to because it's always great to see the script and then kind of maybe mention to them some pitfalls or start assembling a sound recordist uh, team that can go out and get some of these like you know specialized sound effects. Mm-hmm. But mainly, yeah, it's assembling the team. And just working closely with the director, uh, it's also a lot about budgeting and things like that. You got to budget your ADR guy, your Foley guys. You got to make sure make, make it all work, you know. And then, kind of putting all those pieces together, you know, outside of the sessions and the stages and stuff. You have to you have to put all those pieces together. But yeah, and then it's always nice to have a supervising sound editor that actually wears those multiple hats and can get into the mix and can, you know, start cutting sound effects because. You know, if, if you just do one thing, and I know that's probably slowly going out of style where it's just like the sound supervisor is just that guy. You know, he would literally just, you know, talk with the with the director and, and then he would kind of relay that to all the other guys. I think this, like, you know, look at like Matthew Wood. You know, this guy, he's been doing all the big movies, but he would tell you the same thing probably where it's just a lot about balancing all the team. You know, it's about, it's about, getting with the director, finding out what they want, giving them temp mixes, you know, getting a lot of feedback, you know, just all about that art of communication, like what we talked about in the beginning, you know, and just making sure that everybody's happy, you know, and, you know, if there's any any kind of fire that you have to put out, you have to be leery of that and then just basically look ahead and say, all right, well, this is something that, you know, may happen. So let me just take care of it right now. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. And so it's all, it's always changing and it probably will change in 10 years from now. You never know, but that's kind of how I do it. And then I'm able to do the re-recording mixing. And sometimes I do a lot of sound design and stuff like that. So, and, and that kind of, um, that was one of the reasons why I started Ascension, to be honest with you, because I didn't want to work for anyone else. You know, I had an opportunity to work at like a, uh, another facility or like one of the majors. And I got to be honest with you, man, it, when you can't choose the, the projects that you're attached to, you start to do things um, that maybe like projects that you may not do normally, mm-hmm. like maybe you have like a crazy like blasphemy scene or a crazy like rape scene that you're not comfortable with or like mm-hmm. just stuff that you just don't want to work on, 
you know, and, and I felt like when I started Ascension, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to work on this better stuff, you know, wholesome stuff. I want to be able to have that opportunity to turn down something. If you're working for someone else and you did say no, like if you're working at one of the majors or wherever and you did say no to a project, you're probably not going to last very long over there. Yeah. You know, so that's why I kind of started this because I had two ways to go. Of course, I was one of those guys, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I wanted to mix every Marvel movie there was. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be that guy in all the big stages. But as I, you know, progressed a little bit more in my faith, I just realized that, you know, I, I want to be the person who's choosing the projects that I'm attached to. And maybe I'm not going to get those massive budget stuff right now. You know, maybe I won't. But I know that I'm doing the right thing by turning down some of the stuff that I just don't believe in morally. To me, that's the most interesting thing you've just said. Um, so I, if anybody's watched anything that I've done, you hear me talk about work-life balance. You hear me talk Absolutely. about trying to find a way in a very difficult industry where some people are going to want you to do things that, yeah, it's it's audio, you know, like, like you said before, you know, we're not curing cancer. It's just, it's all fun and games, really, but we're taking on paychecks yeah. and we should feel lucky. But at the... Just because we are doing something we love, that doesn't mean we have to do everything. Um, and it's hard sometimes, especially when you're starting out, like you just mentioned. It's really hard. You're going to get presented with something that could be really fantastic. But like you just mentioned, like there's something in you, you don't agree with it. Or like, you know, you've got a family, like am I, am I going to miss a birthday because of work? Yeah. And if I say, no, I'm not doing that, I could be fired or I could lose that client or the next client, you know, that's really difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's hard stuff yeah. to deal or, with. And, and and if I can just say one more thing too about that is, yeah. um, cause this relates to it. So, <clears throat> so one of the things that I do, I don't know if I've mentioned this in the show before. One of the, I do a million things in audio. It seems like one of the things I do is I work in live sports, uh, television where I'll go to arenas and help with the broadcast, whether it be for like a, a Yankees baseball game or the Giants, or I, I work for awesome. Bellator MMA, things like that. So, uh, and some of those, some of those shows I'll travel for. Um, when I first got, hey, I didn't even know that was a thing when I first got into audio. <laughs> I didn't know mm -hmm. half the things that are things were even things when I first got into audio. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's just so much we can do, which is why I, I love I love talking about it. But when I when I first when I first got into that. Uh, I remember there is a, a good friend of mine, Grizz, and he told me, look, uh, you know, you're just starting out. You're getting all the garbage shows. Eventually, somebody's going to like you and offer you something incredible. And what it's going to mean is you're going to be away from your family for three months if you take it. He goes, let me just tell you right now. He's like, I know a lot of people in this business. And this isn't just television. This is all of audio. And I know, you, I know, I know you'll agree with this one. I know a lot Absolutely. of divorced audio engineers. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of unhappy audio engineers. Yep. Um, so what he told me was, you know, and, and I was early 20s, early, early married, early in my marriage. He goes, if you want to do this, I'd recommend you go home right now, talk to your wife and say, hey, I don't have this on the table, but what would it be like if that was offered to me? Because it'll be a huge paycheck yeah. at the end of it. But then there's this. He goes, have the conversation now because you don't want to have the conversation after the offer becomes because then it becomes that much more difficult to say no. So his yep. whole point was take a look at yourself. What are you willing to do for your career? And what are you willing to do for your family? You know, like Absolutely. we never talk about family or, thing, or faith or things like this like in our – we just don't, yeah. you know? Right. Um, 
And that's not cool, <laughs> you know, right. because and, and maybe you'll go years and years and years and nothing really comes up where it's like, oh, I don't have to deal with something that doesn't. I'm fine with it all. That's great. I would say that person's probably in the minority, though. Something's going to yeah. come up where you're going to miss something that is important to you because of your job. And if you didn't have that conversation ahead of time or if you didn't even think of it ahead of time, you're going to be in a, a much more difficult spot than if you'd already sort of set that guideline. Yeah. And that boundary. So um, no, I, I thought mean, it, was, it was fantastic advice. And those situations did come up, you know. Um, not long ago, I was posed with the problem of uh, missing my, my, my last son's first birthday. You're like, what oh, do you man. do? What do you yeah. do? Like, you know, what, what's the decision that you make? Well, if you think about it ahead of time, you already kind of have an idea and you can sort of figure it out. But like, yeah, it's tough. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because here's someone in, in yourself. I'm going to give you a pat on the back here if I can reach around. Um, oh. you, you know, you've formed a, a brilliant career for yourself, but you've done it in a way that doesn't compromise your integrity and your beliefs and what's important to you. So kudos. Yeah. No, I thank you so much. And I mean, you said it really eloquently. Um, our life is a balancing act, right? It's we're balancing sounds when we're at work. We're balancing audio. We're doing all this stuff. But we're also balancing our life as well. And, and that has to be, you know, in balance with each other, too. That has to be. So if, if one thing is like my grandfather always said, it's like if one thing is a little bit off and it's a little bit too much, start to bring it down a little bit and, and just keep yourself balanced, you know, and it, and it has a lot to do with home life. Like you said, you know, you, you don't want to be that guy spending 24 hours a day at the studio and then, you know, your wife is unhappy, your kids are missing you. It's just not a life that, of course, you're getting, you know, you're, you're killing the projects and you're doing all this stuff, but your career is going well, but look, look what happens. You know, your life is going up, but yeah. I'm sorry, your life is going down and your career is going up. There's, there's got to be a happy medium, you know, and then you have to find it or else, like you said, there's going to be a lot of uh, unhappy mixers out there. And maybe some of those those are the guys that, um, you know, are disgruntled on the stage because I've heard a lot of horror stories where, you know, some guy is just going through a divorce or something like that. And, you know, he, he took it out on a client or something. I, I heard all I heard everything. Yeah. You know, you just don't want to be that guy and just look to other people to learn from their mistakes always you know and because you don't want to be you know held uh, put put in a position where that could be you and if you do that you know find a way out yeah you know yeah and i mean just you know again patting on the back this is a great example of someone who can clearly you know have had other people on the show as well who you know the idea of career or or marriage or life or relationship it's it's it doesn't yeah. have to be one or the other it really doesn't but i think the industry is set up in a way that we're made to feel like it is. There's that badge of honor of just being like a studio rat. Like that's yeah. not, there's no honor there to me. No. <laughs> um, you no, know, I'm all that. for success and dedication, but at what expense? Balance yourself. You know, that's like, it's so huge. You just, you can't do more. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're doing more than one thing, you can only do that so much and, and not go crazy from one or the other. And yeah. Yeah. So it, it's not easy. <laughs> you know, no, it's funny, you know, like it, it, it's a um, it's a work in progress for me um, always. And every time I mm -hmm. say no, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, do no, I hate yeah. saying no to work. I love I love the work, um, but but I don't hate it because or I, I'm not resentful about it. 
Yeah. You know, there's there's a difference, I guess. Like, oh, I got to do this because I. it's not like, oh, I got to go do this with the family, so I can't do that. It's just like, I know I'm going to be with the family. Oh, it's kind of, it's a bummer that <laughs> I can't yeah. do that too. I no, wish I could people, do it all. Yeah. People respect that though. You know, clients will respect that, you know. Um, and it's just one of those things that you have to kind of tell them right away. It's like a job interview. You have to tell them about your vacations up up ahead. Yeah, you know, exactly. you have to tell them that you're not going to, you may not be available on Sunday, you know, and it's just one of those things that I think they respect because um, now here's a good way to get all the producers off the podcast is sometimes <laughs> producers will push you until you break, you know, and you have to be that person to see that coming and, and stop it before it happens. And then and I'm not saying to put anybody in their place. I'm not saying to be rude and, and tell them off or something like that, but, you know, assert yourself in a certain way that you can now be the controller of that situation and and not have it go into this, you know, the whole ball and chain thing. You're like sitting at the studio and, and mm-hmm. the producer's like yelling at you from behind and, and stuff like that. You just, you have to, you have to just not be that person <laughs> if you can, just at all costs. And if you are that person, call me. I'll try to talk you down. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it's true, man. It's so true. And because you don't want because you don't want to resent your job. That's huge. You don't want right, to sit yeah. there and, and just and like, oh, man, I hate going in with this guy. You know, he puts me to the test. He gets me in there 15 hours and he, every little thing he wants soloed. I mean, we've all been there, mm-hmm. you know, just do it with a smile on your face. Say, hey, man, I got, you know, a family thing at six. Let's pick it up tomorrow. You know, and um Again, there's that fine line too of like how do you talk to clients because they, they they'll sometimes they want everything for a little, and you have to kind of be that person to kind of step in and and very nicely say you know how how things are and of course just kind of like what you were saying before, um, that's kind of harder in the beginning of your career to say like oh you know I can't I, I can't make that make I can't make that uh, little fix for you on Sunday because you know I got. I got church, I got, I got family, I got, I got to do this, this and that. No, you know, it's harder to say that, but, um, everybody will yeah. get there. You know, you'll get there. I, I believe in you guys. Yeah. It's, it's, but, it comes you know. with confidence. I think there's that certainly that, but, um, yeah. but I don't think you get there at all unless you consider it. So I'm asking everyone who's listening to consider that, Absolutely. you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome, man. So tell, tell, let's get a, a fun, fun note here. <laughs> all this serious okay. stuff. Yeah, I got it. We, All right. I, I, I don't best, think I smiled in like 20 minutes. So, In, in your best Pacino voice, <laughs> oh, let us in on yeah. uh, Salome. Um, how would you get that Dude. gig? Um, what was your takeaway? Anything you can share? Uh, one of my, uh, my good friends, Jeremy Weiss, who he worked on this television show called Hell's Kitchen. Mm. And uh, it was a reality show. He was a switcher for that technical director. And I did tape operator for that. Anyway, he knew me that I knew I knew uh, did a lot of sound design and stuff like that. He knew I was into that, so I worked on a couple short films with him. And then out of out of nowhere, it was like 2012 or something like that. He calls me up. He's like, "Hey, man, I got a project. Um, it's an Al Pacino project." And I'm just thinking to myself, "What? Like that's this is amazing, you know?" So of course I said yes. And um, you know, it, it was pretty nerve wracking at first, you know, because I, I don't get I'm not a starstruck guy. Like I don't. I'm not like, whoa, this is great. But for Al Pacino, it was different, you know. <laughs> and, and it's so funny because I remember being at Wilshire Stages or uh, Wildfire Post, I should say. And then um, 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm sitting there at the board, and this is the first day I meet him, and he's just like, I can hear him out in the hallway already, like literally at the door, like probably 50 feet away, and the door's closing. Everything. I just hear him, I just hear him like walking in like, <laughs> hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, hey, how are you? Like just that, and I'm like, crap, sweat is like literally coming down. But no, man, uh, the thing I learned about Al and uh, what I really love about that guy is he was just so down to earth, you know, and he – and, and I kind of, to go full circle again with this art of communication, he was, an, he was the kind of guy, uh, the funny, one story w was pretty cool. I remember doing like a, something, it was like my second or third day, I was doing some kind of move with the music I did like, and, uh, and but it needed approval kind of or for Al to listen to. And so the executive producer was like, where's Al, where's Al? We don't know. Okay, let's go out there. And we, we checked. And so he's over by the bathrooms talking to the, the, the custodian, the janitor. And, and like, hey, Al, you know, we need to uh, we need to get you in here to, to listen to what Mike did, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, 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 I'll be I'll be there in a second. I'll be there in a second. Uh, that's a horrible Al impression. But um, <laughs> it took about 15 to 20 minutes. He was gone. And and he, this is after the executive producer was like, hey, man, we need we need to, you know, to work here, yeah. <laughs> we need your opinion on this. Yeah. But he just kept talking to the to the janitor, the, the guy sweeping the floors. And, and and for me, I took so much out of that mm. because. It doesn't matter who you are in life. It doesn't matter where you are or what status you think you are. If you're not able to talk to everybody the same way that you would talk to your mom or anybody, you're, I don't know, I got no words for you. Because if Al Pacino, who's Scarface, Michael Corleone, Serpico, everything, if he's able to talk to this um it was like an older Hispanic gentleman that was a custodian. And you could tell, like, this guy was like, he, his eyes were all lit up. Like, he was talking <laughs> to him. And then when the executive producers, because I, I kind of walked out there, too, to get, get some water or something. Like, they were they're having a good conversation. But Al was just, he was just so approachable. And um, mm. really quickly, too, there's one other story. And that just, just that spoke volumes to me. And uh, there's one other story. Al mentioned that um, I get a text message from his assistant saying that Al wants to screen the movie. And um, so I get to the stage and Al saying, yeah, I, I rented out a little, um, I rented out a little, uh, a little screening room for us to, to screen the movie in, you know? <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. So we, we, I get the address. It's like at the William Morris Endeavor or like some, some crazy huge agency, like a creative artist agency. I forget where yeah. it was, but it was a massive theater. It was no screening room, you know? <laughs> it was like this massive, like 10,000 square feet, like, gigantic like the biggest wow. theater i've ever seen in my life and then so anyway so we're so that's his screening room anyway so we <laughs> so it's me this is the cool story me al sitting uh right next to me and on the other side is david leonard who uh is the editor who i love and he's a great guy he did uh like i think he did goodfellas like he just edited everything mm -hmm. oh sound designers get good with editors you know get in good with editors because they are your best friend you know they're they're your like liaison anyway so we get out of the um, the theater, you know, Al's kind of talking about what he wants to do to the movie or how he wants the sound to sound. And, you know, maybe he wanted to do some more edits talking to David. And this is Beverly Hills. So, like, everybody is too cool for school. You know this. Like, everybody's too too cool for school walking, but not for him. Like, people were stopping him. Like, Al, oh, can I get a, you know, let me get an autograph. Let me uh, get a picture. So it's so cool because Al was, like, literally still talking the whole time, not missing a beat, like, signing autographs still talking to us, posing for pictures and like doing all, <laughs> doing everything. 
and still having this conversation. So we walk all the way out to the, uh, to the edge of, uh, we go out the building, we go to the edge of the street, not like a crossing walk or anything. And he just kind of like lifts up his hand a little bit. I don't know where comes this Range Rover, not even like a brand new Range Rover or anything. It was just a clean, probably like a 2010 Range Rover, 20 or, you know, 2008 Range Rover, not like a pimped out Range Rover or anything <laughs> comes and it, it pulls actually in the, on the wrong side of the road, like pulls the other way. And, uh, you know, Al kind of gives us this like pound and bear hug, of course, this pre-COVID days. He gives us this pound and, and bear hug and he's like, all right, guys, you know, take care. You know, he never lost his New York kind of sensibility mm-hmm. with his uh, handshakes and his greetings. And um, he kind of raises his his hand a little bit, you know, again, and not in a disrespectful way or anything. But and then all of a sudden the driver who was driving didn't get out and get in the driver's uh, in the passenger seat. He just jumped over to the passenger side. And Al, who's like 75 at the time, just gets in and drives off. It was the coolest <laughs> thing ever because you think like, okay, Al Pacino's going to have a driver. He's going to have white gloves. He's probably going to have a top hat. It's probably going to be a limo. Get out of my but seat. none of that. He, he got in and he drove off. You know, Let's it's go. just one of those things where like that was just so cool and down to earth. Like, And if you're at that level, guys, if you're at that level and you can do that, there, I don't care who you are in the world, if you can't be – level and you can't be grounded and able to talk to everybody and treat them with respect, then you got to kind of reevaluate yourself. You know, it's, it's so true because, you know, I've heard horror stories where, you know, I I had a friend who PA'd on uh, this actor will, will will remain unnamed because we don't want more people shutting off the podcast. (laughs) But, um, you know, one time the guy goes, I I need 323 green M&Ms in my trailer. I'm going to go nuts. And this guy is like a B-level actor and he's pulling that kind of stuff. You know, he's like, he thinks he's too good, you know, he's too cool for school, everything. If Al Pacino could be that cool, talk to the custodian, be that cool, then, you know, then this guy can and everyone can around him. So, um, okay, fine. You can cut this story out if you want to for time, but I got to tell you one more story about (laughs) this because this is so funny. It's a really quick one. So, this is like my third day at um, Wildfire Post. I'm mixing. And I did something. I, I, in, I think I had like the, the, the dialogue on mute or something. And I did some, some kind of ride with the music. And um, then I played it back. And then Al's in the background. Of course, he has his little flip phone. He, didn't, he never got into the, um, <laughs> the, the smartphones or anything. He still has the old flip phone from the 90s. And um, all of a sudden, I hear from the back, Oh, Michael, you're killing me. You're killing me, Mike. What are you doing to me? Oh, no. And I'm thinking to myself, and this is like probably my second or third day. And all of a sudden, again, like sweat just starts pouring down. I I didn't even look back. I just can hear him like mumbling back there like, what are you doing? No, no. What are you doing to me, Mike? Oh, you're killing me. (coughs) I I can't not cough without that. That is the way (laughs) out. Yeah. So and he um, and he basically just was like so upset. And I go. You know, I just quickly pressed Apple Z, you know, anything that I just did, Apple Z a couple of times. And then I redid uh, whatever I did. I put the dialogue back in. And then it was like literally two minutes later where he's like, yes. And oh, let me, let me rewind a little bit. So <laughs> he he's he's like, I'm thinking now that I'm never going to work again in this town. Like the, the way that he's reacting to whatever I did, whatever was bugging him. I'm like thinking, dude, there's no way that I'm ever going to work. Like all these things are going on in my head. Like as I'm not even, I was just like, crap, like I'm done. This is my shot. I blew it. Anyway, so two minutes later, go by after a couple Apple Z's, you know, I put the dialogue back in something else. And then um, 
he's just like immediately like, yes, yes, Michael, yes, this is exact. Like, and he just starts like getting like so pumped, like, like one of his movies. And I was just like, I remember like turning around and looking at him and I'm just like smiling. Cause I'm just shocked <laughs> that he's like this animated about this. And, um, and then it literally, I went from like the lowest point in my career, literally to two minutes later, the highest point in my career. It was like, it was such a, um, emotional roller coaster. Anyway. You know, I, I like to leave people with some something actionable that maybe, you know, they can uh, put into action and maybe get something else going on with what they're doing. So why don't you leave us with some advice, maybe somebody who either A, wants to start their own stage like you did, or B, just work at a place like Ascension. You know, you mentioned, you know, the role of the sound supervisor, and I'm glad we went over that because that that's kind of yeah. why I was hoping you'd speak about that because – um, for some reason, some people in audio, if they're not familiar with uh, film or television, they think they got to get in touch with the producers for a gig. It's not, it doesn't hurt, but that's not yeah. usually the way in on the audio side. Um, so, mm. you know, maybe you can kind of, you know, expand on that. You know, if I'm looking to get into film, into a place like Ascension or even just start a place, like, what do you think? What, what's your tip? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, just try to find ways to stick out you know, the best you can. Cause like I said, now with, with the way that technology is going, everyone has pro tool setups, you know, everyone and their grandmother has a pro tool setup. Um, so it's hard to stick out. Um, I, I feel like you have to know your competition. That's number one, huge thing. Uh, know your competition because, you know, when I got out of college, I wasn't necessarily competing with, you know, any of the, the clients that I'm work or the other mixers that I'm competing against now, but you have to figure out who your competition is and who's around your caliber and who's going to be going after the same jobs that you are at the same time. You know, and once you figure that out, you know, I'm giving away all my secrets. Now I'm never going to get any more work. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. No, I'm kidding. But um, once you figure that out, you'll, you'll, be, you'll have a much easier time getting gigs because you're going to know what that other person responds with or has his website set up. And, and you know, you're just you're kind of like. I would say like you're kind of like Bruce Lee with Jeet Kune Do. Like Bruce took, you know, all these different styles and then took the best part of each one and kind of combined it into one. And I feel like that's a great um, outlook to just have, you know, even with audio because you're going to be balancing. It's all about balancing. You know, this is when we talk, we, we go back to that whole balancing thing. It's like uh, you have to figure out ways to stand out pick up the the strong points of certain individuals that you, you know, not necessarily want to emulate, but just that you look up to and then try to figure out your own style, you know, and um, never be, and this is kind of going on to number two, always be on time, never miss a deadline, you know? And it's, it's so huge because, uh, you know, if you tell your client one thing or you even tell somebody that you're going to be there at, at a certain time, you know, don't disrespect their time by coming late or, you know, not showing up or doing anything. And, you know, don't miss any deadlines ever. You know, if you set a, if you set a deadline, then hit it. You know, even if it's just a rough mix, you got to give them something. Don't say, oh, I need a couple more days because your, your value starts to, to lessen uh, as you, um, you know, keep saying, oh, I need a couple more days. Oh, I'm sorry. Like if everything is, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. let me just, I had, I had, my dog uh, got sick and, you know, I had to go to the, the vet, you know, everyone has stuff. So just, you know, plan ahead, look ahead. The, probably the last thing I wanted to say too, and I'm getting a lot of, um, sometimes I'll get like a dialogue mix is just over RXing, you know, mm. you can't stand it. I love RX. Isotope is, is like 
far like that's like kind of all the plugins that I have on my like second or third monitor that'll be like a lot of isotope stuff right but you have to be like real careful when you over process dialogue or just any sound for anything because I, I'd rather have hiss you know a little bit of hiss than to take out all the life of it you mm -hmm. know if I had something on my gravestone at the end of everything I'll just have something <laughs> like hiss is okay hiss is life <laughs> no, because like you start to suck all, all the life when you over RX things. So my suggestion would be if you do have a noisy clip, maybe give it two different passes on it, two different RX passes of a little bit less. You know, you don't have mm. to go so aggressive on your first, um, you know, your first pass and, and you just kind of revisit it and maybe you hit it again with the same kind of uh, mentality by not like over rxing it because for me you know once you put all the backgrounds and everything in there you're you're going to be fine you know you're going to be able to have that dialogue crispy and uh, i don't know what crispy sounds like but <laughs> yeah but no i just just making sure basically that um you don't overdo stuff because that's like a, a sign of someone that you know maybe hasn't have a lot of experience but anyway thank you so much for coming on um i Absolutely. learned a ton thank you. i'm hoping everybody who's watching learned a ton i can't imagine that they aren't learning something. But uh, if anybody would like to learn more about what Michael does, um, his fantastic view, I mean, look at look at that view. Uh, go to ascensionpost.com. Um, we didn't even discuss it, but I mean, there's far more than just the audio that happens at Ascension. Their, their body of work is astounding. The team that they've assembled is top notch. Um, so c congratulations on all that, um, Michael, you're doing fantastic. And just thanks again for being so gracious with your time. Ascensionpost.com. Uh, that's all we've got for you today. I mean, it's actually not all we've got, but it's all we're going to put in this episode. So I'll hound Michael another time. He'll act like he has nothing to say. He'll come around and we'll do another episode eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, until then, uh, don't forget your free gift, adamclaremont.com slash client list. You know, just something you can chew on that might maybe help you to get, uh, you know, some, some things rolling to get some new projects uh, coming to the studio for you. But uh, other than that... <clears throat> Thanks so much for listening. Catch you the next time. See you later. Bye.